MacCast, Sunday, April 24th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple and Mac news, hints, tips, goings-ons, everything that's happening in our little MacCast community. How are you doing? I hope you're having a great week or weekend, whatever it might be. Things have been going okay here in the new MacCast studio in South Dakota. We're getting all settled in, although I have to admit, it's pretty windy out here. I was expecting the cold uh, to be a little bit different than California, but the wind, uh, not so sure I was ready quite for that. But we're getting by just fine. I hope you are doing well and having a great week. I'm looking here over the show notes, and we have a number of really fun things to talk about in this episode uh, we're going to talk about what's happening with the new iPhone lineup and phone sizes. We're going to get into iOS and Android share. We're going to talk about HomePod a little bit. Yeah, some HomePod news this week. And of course, we've got Apple TV Plus stuff centering around sports once again. And then uh, what's going on with Apple's new processors. And Apple has a little bit of an Apple Watch repair program. I need to tell you about. And then we're going to get to some of your feedback and questions. Uh, have a thing about reminders. I'm uh, going to try and help a listener out with that. We are going to talk about photo libraries. And then I have a thing of the moment. I got a new thing to tell you about. So should be a great episode. We will dive right in in just a moment. But before we get started, I do want to take a second and thank a show sponsor. And that is... Simply safe. You know, what do US News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science all have in common? Well, they all rank Simply Safe Home Security as the best home security of 2021. And in fact, US News just named Simply Safe the best home security for all of 2022 as well. Now, one of the latest things for me that makes Simply Safe the best is the fact that it is modular and it is self installed. And what that meant for me is when I came to my new home here in South Dakota, I could take the same protection that I had in my old house and bring it here because I brought my system with me. And I have to tell you, the teardown was as quick and easy as the setup was in my old home. And once again, setting it up here couldn't have been easier. And now I'm just getting a new outdoor camera, some additional sensors, and I can expand my system to fit my new house and its needs. And that is awesome. Plus, Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, every door, window, and room. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring, the best in the business. They are ready to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. And with a comprehensive set of sensors and cameras, including the new wireless outdoor security camera, you'll always know what's going on inside and outside your home. Simply Safe is less than $1 a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes plus it's always simple to use there's never any long long-term contract and you even can try it 60 days risk-free to see if you like it if you don't send it back free of charge simply safe protects over a million homes in the united states alone you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash maccast 
Go today and claim your free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash MacCast. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash MacCast. And a huge thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. So we sort of already expected this, but some new iPhone blanks showed up this week on the Chinese website Weibo, and they reportedly show the sizes and sort of dimensions of the new iPhones. And these are molds probably for not the actual iPhones themselves, but for case manufacturers. I think some people were thinking they were actually the ones Apple was using, but regardless, they seem to indicate what we were already expecting, and that is that for 2022, Apple is likely discontinuing the iPhone mini, and they're still going with four different models of iPhone. I think we've talked about these a little bit. Um, but basically what you're going to have is the same sizes in a Pro and a non-Pro model. So you're going to get a 6.1-inch iPhone 14, a 6.1-inch iPhone 14 Pro, a 6.7-inch iPhone 14 Max, and a 6.7-inch iPhone 14 Pro Max. So same sizes, just Pro and non-Pro. The iPhone mini, according to a lot of reports, is just not sold very well, and that's likely why Apple is discontinuing it. As a matter of fact, it seems like smaller phone sizes in general have been suffering. A new survey came out this week as well of U.S. carrier stores done by Wave 7, and they claimed that 56% of those stores said that the new iPhone SE3 demand was weaker this year than it was for the previous year's iPhone SE. And as a matter of fact, only 8% claimed that it was actually stronger. So smaller phones just apparently not doing that well for Apple. And it sounds like they may have decided this year, at least for the iPhone 14 lineup, that they're going to go with the larger sizes. Now, the other thing that was notable with these blanks is that it did they do show the increased camera bump on the Pro models of the iPhone. We were expecting this because Apple is expected, as we've talked about, to improve the wide-angle lens, adding that 48-megapixel sensor. Uh, they're going to do that whole trick so that in low light, you still get the 12-megapixel and better images. Uh, but that means overall that the thickness of that camera bump is going to increase 4.17 millimeters according to reports about 0.57 millimeters larger than the previous bump and the overall space that that bump uses is going to grow by about five percent in both dimensions to 36.73 millimeters by 38.21 millimeters and that would be up from 35.01 millimeters by 36.24 millimeters in the current iPhone Pro. That same post also talks a little bit about the notch, noting that the non-Pro models will still have the notch in them, but the Pro line will have what they're calling an exclamation point design, uh, referring to what we've been talking about, which is the change to a pill shape plus hole punch shape in the display for the true depth camera system on the pro models so that's still being rumored to be a big design change on the pro and kind of speaking of those holes and the front facing camera the facetime camera on the iphone 14 ming chi quo says this week that that would be getting some improvements as well 
He said we're going to be getting uh, an update to autofocus and a larger aperture, specifically a, an F, a new F.19 aperture versus the current F2.2 aperture. And that reportedly will allow for better shallow depth of field effects for the selfie and portrait mode stuff, and then an enhanced focus for your video calls. So you're going to be nicer FaceTime calls, Zoom calls, all that sort of stuff. Apple focusing on improving that. And then a later Weibo post, so there's this was the original one with kind of these leaked images, but a later post also mentioned what the new color for this year might be. They're claiming it's going to be purple. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. They say this new purple color will actually have a shift in tone based on lighting conditions. So that sounds pretty cool. I like purple stuff. So uh, that would be a great new color. But that same report also claims that there's going to be a kind of change to the design of the True Tone Flash. They're saying you're now going to have a small circle inside kind of a bigger circle, as opposed to the current design, which actually contains kind of a split LED. So in that round space, if you look at it, it's split down the middle and you have uh, separate LEDs on each half of that circle. So now it's going to kind of be these concentric circle within a circle design, according to that report. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't know how that changes or maybe improves the True Tone Flash, but a uh, little bit of a design change there as well, according to that report. And then Ming-Chi Kuo goes further into the future <laughs> in talking about the uh, Face ID True, True Depth camera system saying that Apple will finally adopt under-display Face ID, something we've been talking about back and forth for years now, uh, in the iPhone for not the iPhone 15 in 2023, but the iPhone 16 in 2024. So I don't know why we speculate so far out on some of these rumors, but if you're waiting for under-display uh, you know, designs in an iPhone, that's not going to be happening for another couple years, at least according to Ming-Chi Kuo. Now, speaking a little bit about iPhone popularity, it sounds like iOS is gaining a little bit in terms of market share on Android. Of course, Android continues to dominate the global market, but new data, data this week shows that they are slipping a bit and that iOS is gaining up some of that ground. The data comes from stock apps, and they say that in the past four years, Android's market share has dropped from 77.32% to 69.74%. And meanwhile, at the same time, iOS usage went up to or went up from rather 19.4% to 25.49%. Now Oddly, the report credits Apple's focus on releasing lower-cost entry-level options like the iPhone SE and the iPhone mini as contributing to that rise in market share. So we have a little bit of conflict here, although you know this is looking over the past four years, so that rate may be slowing a little bit in terms of people going for the smaller-sized phones. But I think the, the point is still the same, that basically what's happening in our market is people are going after at least on the entry level, and this would be a lot of Android switchers likely, going after those lower price point phones. So expect Apple to continue to kind of have those lower price point models in the lineup to kind of continue this surge. Also, we're seeing some halo effect from things like the iPad, and I would imagine a lot of Apple services like Apple TV Plus, which is gaining some popularity. So people are more interested, it seems like, in Apple products, and that is 
making its way over to iOS Share, which is good for Apple and good for us Apple fans as well. Still, this year Apple could face an uphill battle due to the supply chain. It obviously won't really matter how popular iPhones are if Apple can't ship the devices. And we do have reports that as many as 200 of Apple's suppliers have facilities in and around Shanghai that are being disrupted by the recent COVID lockdowns. Now, Apple does a pretty decent job of trying to diversify their supply chain, so they might be less impacted than some, but still there's likely to be an impact. And one example we heard about this week was Apple's third-party OLED supplier, BOE, who continues to be impacted by chip shortages and will struggle likely to hit Apple's production targets for this year. So that might be some bad news. If you are looking at a new iPhone for this year or just any new Apple products, you can expect probably longer lead times. We're going to be waiting a little bit longer to get our products. It's going to be a little bit harder to get those products. And it's just a, a, a factor of what's happening globally in terms of supply chain it just hasn't gotten a lot better unfortunately and it's not just apple that's struggling obviously it's everybody across the board so tech in general is just getting harder to get a hold of and that kind of hurts for us fans of these products but hey it's kind of what we're looking at this year Here's an Apple product we haven't talked about in quite a bit, and that is the HomePod. Yeah, HomePod Mini is awesome. I have one. I love it. I also have the original HomePod, which I love probably even more. I think it's a great product. I'm a little bit disappointed that Apple discontinued it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I don't think I'm alone on that front. But uh, this week, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman says that Apple is still working on a HomePod product, not just a HomePod product, but a combo product that he says is going to bring together the functionality of the Apple TV, the HomePod, and a FaceTime camera all into a single device. And we've heard about this before. I think we haven't talked about this rumored product for probably a year or more, but he says Apple is still working on that. He also says they might still have a HomePod mini update in the works, but that this combo HomePod would be sort of at the center of their future strategy or their their approach to uh, HomePod and, and uh, this whole home kit, home integration. And then what you would have is a bunch of other satellite minis, HomePod minis spread out throughout your house. So the idea is kind of have the central uh, device that combines your Apple TV with your HomePod and your FaceTime camera for doing video calls. And then, you know, satellite HomePods and other rooms and those sorts of things. And expect that to have a really nice tight integration in, in terms of everything. And as he was sort of, or as I was reading about this product, rather, I was thinking, I have to imagine, especially with the FaceTime camera, that a lot of Apple's work on center stage would be part of making that FaceTime camera really work in say like a living room scenario because you have to imagine that HomePod and that camera is going to sit somewhere central in that room but if you want to be able to move around and make a video call it's going to have to have a way to kind of pan and follow you around the room and that sort of thing and so rather than having to actually move the camera around or have some sort of gimbal uh, Apple could probably leverage that technology they have in center stage to make that happen which is pretty cool. German also said he didn't think that Apple would do, unfortunately, a big standalone HomePod again, but I'm thinking maybe they should because this week, 9to5Max Chance Miller tweeted that demand for the discontinued model seems to be well uh, alive and well on eBay. He noted that 
a sealed inbox original HomePod or sealed inbox original HomePods are selling for upwards of $700 US on eBay. And even The Verge noted that the average price of a not mint inbox, basically a used HomePod, is around $350. That's about $50 over the selling price of $299 US where the HomePod was at when it was discontinued. So popularity of the big old older HomePod still seems to be out there. Uh, not surprising because they are really great, especially when used in like a stereo pair and all that sort of stuff. So I, you know, I think Apple would do well to bring back a full-sized HomePod and expand the line a little bit. I think Maybe the HomePod Mini has allowed them to get a lot more traction, and now the market might be a little bit more open to a more full-featured, better-sounding product, something that can fill a room a little bit better. I think they maybe went in the wrong direction in terms of how they launched it, right? They launched the big expensive one first, and then kind of came back down to the small, the lower price point one. Now that I think more people are familiar with the HomePod through the Mini, they could sell a lot more. So we'll have to wait and see. German says that's not going to happen, but I would love to see that happen. Curious what you think about that. Are we ready to have larger HomePods now get back into that market? Or is it really, it needs to be that low level price point? Send me your thoughts and opinions, maccast at gmail.com. And then, in Apple TV Plus news, it looks like Apple wants more live sports, and I don't think this is surprising either. We've talked about this for a while. Apple TV Plus just launched their Friday Night Baseball, and now we have a rumor that they are getting close to, if not have already sealed a deal with the NFL, specifically for NFL Sunday Ticket. And this is due to a report from Puck News that this week alludes that the deal between Apple and the NFL for 2023 is basically done, but Apple has asked them to kind of keep it under wraps, I would presume, so that they can make some sort of big announcement. Uh, what has happened here is DirecTV has had a deal for NFL Sunday ticket uh, for a few years now. They're They've been reportedly paying about $1.5 billion a year for the rights, and Apple is now expected to have stepped up and offered up to maybe $2.5 billion to secure the deal because uh, they had been going up against also Amazon, who wanted to get NFL Sunday tickets. So Apple has really been wanting to get into live sports, and this may be the next piece of that puzzle for them. They're presumably also trying to do deals with the NBA. I would assume also the NHL. Probably they want everything across the board. Uh, but getting the NFL would be a pretty big deal, I think, for Apple. And especially if they do the same thing that they did with Friday Night Baseball and make that free. I think currently to get NFL Sunday ticket, you actually have to pay a pretty penny. So if Apple could roll that into their free product, that could bring even more subscribers to Apple TV+. Plus. At $4.99, that's going to make it a heck of a deal. So we'll have to wait and see if this turns out to be reality, but it's sounding like uh, Apple may have an announcement sometime soon about the NFL. Apple also, of course, continues to expand the list of Apple TV Plus shows that they're releasing. They announced this week a new children's series based on a popular app. Uh, 
uh, Sago Mini World. I'm not familiar with this app, but it sounds like if you have preschoolers, you might be familiar with it. And Apple is going to do a new TV series based on that. It's going to be called Sago Mini Friends, and it will feature Harvey, the floppy-eared dog, and his best friends, Ginger the cat and Jack the rabbit and Robin the bird and according to Apple's press release in each episode Harvey and all his friends express their true thankfulness for all things big and small through optimism kindness preschool friendly humor and unforgettable original songs so sounding like it's going to be a very popular series among younger viewers and Apple is doing a lot in that market with Apple TV plus so I don't know. I'd be curious to look into a little bit deeper how that is affecting uh, subscribership, but I would imagine that's a great market for Apple to be in as well. My kids are a little bit older at this point, so I'm kind of past that. But yeah, had that been an option for us, it would have been a great reason to have an Apple TV Plus subscription for sure. And then Apple also announced this week their first project to come from the first look deal that they did with Edris Elba. Elba will produce and star in a limited series called Hijack. The series will be a seven-part thriller about the hijacking of a London flight told in real time over seven over the seven hours of the flight. So I'd imagine uh, seven one-hour, roughly one-hour episodes, and uh, that will be coming to Apple TV Plus as well. Are you ready to talk about the Apple M3 silicon? Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? M3. We haven't even seen M2 yet, right? Well, Mark Gurman is ready to talk about it. He's claiming that Apple is already in development of an M3 processor. And yeah, we know we don't even have M2s yet. But to be fair, Apple is likely several years out and working on most of their processor designs. I don't think that should be too surprising to most of us. And Gurman also does reiterate that Apple still is planning on releasing several M2 computers before the M3 comes out and even claims that we could see an M2 as early as June. He's expecting Apple to have an M2 chip for the MacBook Air, the entry-level MacBook Pro, and the Mac Mini, and then, of course, followed by M2 Pro and M2 Max chip designs for the 14-inch MacBook Pro and 16-inch MacBook Pro. And he even says a an M2 Ultra chip dual ultra chip for the mac pro so number of m2s still on the way but as for the m3 he says he expects apple to release it in an updated imac which is interesting because that means maybe apple skips an m2 version of the 24 inch imac and he says he doesn't even expect the imac to happen until maybe near the end of next year so could we go a whole nother year without seeing an updated 24-inch iMac. That seems a little bit odd to me, but you know that's what German is saying, and that's when we'll see the M3. He also says that Apple is working on an iMac Pro, uh, but don't expect to see that anytime soon, and he doesn't really specifically name which processor would be in that. But I think a lot of us were expecting maybe an M1 Max or an M1 Ultra version of the iMac Pro. Maybe that ha doesn't happen either. Maybe they hold out until the M3. But I don't think too many of us are going to want to wait that long. We are still expecting Apple to have the Mac Pro out probably before the end of the year. He didn't really comment on that either. But at the very least, we are expecting several new M2 Macs out before the end of the year. So a lot of announcements still coming. And it will be a, a great year for the Mac, no doubt.
And then finally in the news for this week, if you have a 40 millimeter Apple Watch Series 6 model, I know oddly specific, but if you have that model and you've experienced the white screen issue, there's good news for you. Apple has a new service program for owners of that model whose displays might go blank permanently. Apple says the affected units were manufactured between April and September of 2021. So if you fall in that range, you can see if your Apple Watch is eligible for a repair free of charge by entering your serial number on Apple's support page. I'll have a link to that in the show notes at maccast.com. Again, this is just for the 40 millimeter Apple Watch Series 6. But if you are, you can get that repair and the program covers eligible Apple Watch Series 6 six models for two years after the first retail sale of the unit. And I would imagine too, like in the past, if you've had a repair on your Apple Watch and that you've paid for due to this, you probably can get a reimbursement as well. So you're going to want to check that out on Apple's website. And again, I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another couple show sponsors, starting with Ladder. You know, these last few years have had me thinking more and more about the financial security of my family. It's actually part of what prompted my recent move, the rising cost of living, having a house payment, all of that for me is a lot of responsibility. And one thing I worry about is making sure that no matter what happens, my family is always safe and protected. So it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And if you prefer to talk to a person, their team of licensed agents doesn't work on commission, so they'll help you and not upsell you. No hidden fees, cancel any time, and get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. And ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' best life insurance of 2021 list. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash matcast today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash matcast, ladderlife.com slash matcast, and a big thank you to Ladder for their support of the show. And then I'd also like to tell you about my sponsor, Hunter Douglas. You know, who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and style. Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter cooler in summer and lowering utility bills or 
It's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, or night. And what's great about Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology is it's HomeKit compatible. That means it can easily integrate with your home app and your iOS device, your Mac and your home pods. So you can leverage HomeKit. You can build full automations to fully control your Hunter Douglas window shades. And that is incredibly cool. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. And right now for a limited time, you can take advantage of generous rebate savings opportunities on select styles visit hunterdouglas.com slash maccast today for details that's hunterdouglas.com slash maccast and a big thank you to hunter douglas for their support of the show so reminders and the reminders app on your mac and ios is incredibly convenient but it looks like at least according to one member of our community that Uh, Reminders may be remembering a little bit too much. This is actually an ongoing issue for one of our community members and for others in the Apple and Mac community. So I thought we'd try to help him out a little bit. Carlos actually contacted us before about an issue where the Reminders app was consuming a large amount or a large portion of the storage on his devices, especially his iOS devices. And He went back and forth with Apple support and was ultimately able to resolve it, at least temporarily, by completely deleting the Reminders app on his iOS device and reinstalling it. So you may remember this. Basically what was happening was that it was eating up just a ton of storage, a lot more than you would think Reminders would eat up, like in some cases gigabytes of storage just for reminders. Yeah, it was a little bit crazy. And so uh, if you experienced this, it seemed like one fix would be to completely delete the app. And I would imagine before deleting the app, you'd also want to turn off iCloud syncing on that device completely, at least for reminders. Uh, You're going to want a backup first uh, because you don't want to lose any of your existing reminders. So make sure you have a good backup. But at least on uh, one of your devices, uh, keep reminders turned on, probably on your Mac, uh, so that you have all of your reminder reminder data stored locally on one device. And again, make sure that's backed up. But what you could do is then delete the uh, reminders app on your iOS device and reinstall it. And a while back when we covered this first time that did work for Carlos and it resolved his issue but then he emailed me this week saying hey the issue has come back and not only that there are a number of people describing this issue on Apple's support forums and he pointed me to a discussion thread that I'll link to in the show notes at macos.com just in case you're running into this issue as well and it seems to be getting maybe worse, not better, because some folks are noting that now with their Apple Watch, they can't even sync over reminders because the Apple Watch just doesn't, frankly, have enough storage for the gigabytes of data that Reminders is trying to store. Now, it's not clear exactly how widespread this issue is, 
and it's not really clear what the exact cause of the issue is, although it does seem to be related to syncing of data uh, to iCloud, because that's likely why it's coming back, right? You get it cleaned up, and then it just sort of builds up again, and then because iCloud is syncing all your reminder data, you run back into this problem. Now, I have not noted the problem on my own devices, but I barely use the Reminders app. Um, I think I had like 22 total Reminders in there. And even there on my devices, it was taking up more storage than you would think it really should. I mean, I had several megabytes of storage being used by Reminders. So again, I don't know how widespread this issue is, but... The most likely culprit that I see when I'm reading through these discussion forums seems to be maybe a bug in how iOS or iCloud is cleaning up older completed reminders and data, especially on recurring reminders, which is something that Carlos mentioned he uses quite extensively. So I think what happens is if you have a recurring reminders, the older ones that are completed aren't getting cleaned up. And as a matter of fact, it looks like a lot of the data is stored in a SQLite database. Uh, and some folks have noted they've gone in, looked at that data by opening up the file, the SQLite database file. And what they find is tons of records that they thought they had already deleted, but they're still sitting in that database. And then, of course, they're syncing. And if you've got Again, recurring reminders on there, that can really eat up the storage. Another thing that they're noting is that if you've added any images to those reminders, especially those repeating ones, that image data is possibly getting duplicated over and over again and consuming your storage even faster. So this definitely does seem to be a problem. What's interesting about this is that Apple did add a new feature or make it made it easier rather with iOS 15 to kind of clean up those completed reminders. So if you are experiencing the storage issue, one thing you might try at first before, you know, completely de deleting the app or another recommended fix for this is to basically fully restore your iPhone. So like back it up and fully restore it or completely disconnect from iCloud and reconnect to iCloud to try and get the syncing to go again. But one thing you might try for this before that, before you do all that is just going in and trying to clean up your completed reminders. So on iOS, what you can do is you can go in and you can open up the Reminders app, uh, tap on the All Reminders, and then you need to make sure that Show Completed Reminders is turned on. If it's not, you can tap the little dot, dot, dot icon and choose Show Completed. And then once that's turned on at the top, you should see a little clear link, just the text clear, and you can tap on that and choose the option to remove completed reminders. And it'll give you a couple different choices. You can either choose to remove all your completed reminders, or you can just choose to rem remove reminders that are older than a month, older than six months, or older than a year. And presumably, that should go through and clean up that data. Although, if this bug turns out to be... Uh, pretty widespread, it could be that it's not actually deleting that data, or maybe something like there's a bug in iCloud where you delete that data, but then it just comes back through the iCloud sync. So we don't really know what's going on here. Again, we don't know how widespread it is. That's why I'm kind of throwing it out to you in the community to find out are others being affected by this because it's been a huge problem for Carlos. He keeps coming back to it. And if anyone in our community has experienced this, uh, 
let us know about it. And more importantly, if you actually have a solid fix for the solution, something that I haven't recommended here already, please share it so that we can share it with the rest of the community. Because really, reminders shouldn't be taking up gigs of storage on your devices. And like I said, if you have an Apple Watch and you're syncing with that, it can literally prevent uh, reminders from syncing to your Apple Watch at all because you just don't have enough storage. So definitely an issue out there affecting some of our community and if you can help out that would be awesome and carlos if we find out something i will be sure to share that with you on a future episode of the mac cast i think it was last episode we were trying to help a community member out with some photos stuff and that actually prompted a new question from another member of our community, Curtis. And here's what Curtis asked me about. Hey, Adam. This is Curtis from Dayton, Ohio. I just finished listening to your April 10th episode and began to feel a sense of dread when discussing the topic of involving photos. Um, it is indeed great how photos is so good at keeping changes just within the metadata unless exported. But like many families out there my library is huge and nearly out of control so sans google searching i wanted to pitch this question to you in the community so that we can all benefit what is your best practice for managing a large photos library that takes a long time to load um, it's sitting on some rather large disk-based hard drives all backed up to backblaze uh, by being plugged into a licensed mac mini thank you very much um, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking create a smart album filtered by a decade, you know, maybe have several that I do that way, possibly less than a decade, and then somehow export that as a library. Uh, then store that library as an archive on the same photos external hard drive of mine. But what do I do next? The album, as mentioned in the previous episode, is merely stand-ins for the actual files. If I start archiving to reduce the size of my photo library so that it will open up faster... I'd want to do it the right way and in the right order. So what do you think? Love the show. My thanks to you and the MacCast community for always being so helpful. Hey, we'll try to be helpful for you again here, Curtis. I'll do my best, but I'll tell you, I suffer probably from the same problem as you do, especially my wife. She's got the large photo library with the the majority of our photos. I'm I'm kind of lucky because... My personal photo library, and I use iCloud Photo Library, is not quite so large. It's maybe 100,000, 150,000 or so photos. And I know my wife's, I want to say, is pushing several hundred thousand, maybe even 500, 800,000. I don't even know. I'd have to go look. But she does complain about it taking a long time to open. And I'm going to give you maybe some of the same recommendations that I've given her, uh, at least on one side of things. But you bring up another great point about archiving maybe photos that you don't need in your library, but you still want to keep and re retain. And I think I can help you out with some of that as well. I'll at least give you my thoughts and opinions on what I would do and how I would handle it. But of course, we have a community that is a lot smarter than I am, at least collectively, right? I have my own thoughts and ideas, but a lot of times the ideas from you and our community are even better than what I can come up with. So we'll try to help Curtis out, uh, all of us, and we'll see how, you know, where, where we land. But here's, here's my thoughts and opinions. And the first one, and this is the advice I gave to my wife, is... Uh, try to just go through and purge your existing photo library and see if you can get the number of photos down. Because I have to imagine there's a lot of data and a lot of photos in there that are probably not 
valuable, uh, meaning that you have blurry photos or you have photos that just aren't really that good. And do you really need to keep all of those? Or maybe you even have other kinds of photos that aren't really personal memories or that important to you. And maybe those can be purged as well. So a couple of ideas that I have is one, you can quickly go through and use the hide feature to hide photos. Now that's not going to reduce the size of your library, but it will get them into that special hidden album. So command L. So if you go through and select photos that you maybe want to purge and just hit command L, it'll go into that hidden album. Or you could just create another album, use a smart album with tagging, however you want to get the photos into kind of a place where you can review. So you can quickly go through your library, kind of throw everything into some sort of album where it's like, these are questionable photos. I don't know if I want to keep them or not, but maybe I do. And then at some point you can go through, review those and delete any photos that are just photos that you don't need or want anymore. It just like purge them, like literally get rid of them. You don't need to keep everything that's probably in your photo library. So maybe that gets rid of, I don't know, 10%, 20% of your photos. At least it's a pretty good, pretty good start. And then I have to imagine there's a few other kinds of data in there that you might be able to get rid of. Specifically, if you're like me, you have a lot of screenshots, right, that show up in the screenshots album. So just go into your albums under media types and look at the screenshots. And do you really need all of those screenshots? Or I know another thing that my wife likes to do is she'll like products or things that she's looking for. She'll sometimes throw those into her photo library. So she just has like images of things. A lot of those are screenshots uh, that aren't personal family photos. They're not really important, but they sort of land in that bucket, right? Your photo library, and they're just taking up space. So get rid of all of that that stuff. Another area you might have is burst photos. So if you take, you know, sports photos or action photos, you can look at the bursts media album. So under albums, media type bursts. And what you can do is you can just keep the good photos out of your burst photos and get rid of the rest of the stuff. And the way you do this, at least on a Mac, I think it's similar on iOS, but I'm going to give you the Mac instructions because I think it's a little bit easier to do there. Uh, go in to the bursts album, pick a bursts photo and open it up by double clicking on it. And then you should see a little button that says make a selection. Click on that. And then what you could do is you'll see the, the, all of the images in that burst down in the little timeline and you can scroll through those and there's a little circle checkbox where you can select the photos that you want to keep so pick the ones that are good uh, but you probably don't need all of the photos in the burst so pick the ones that you like and as a matter of fact, Apple will even mark its its AI engine will even mark the ones that it thinks are the best, basically the ones that are most in focus usually with a little dot below the photo. So you can kind of start with those and then check the rest in there and, and find the ones that you want, select those. And then once you're done making your selections, click done. And what it will ask you is, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep all these burst photos or do you want to keep only the selected ones. If you choose keep only the selected ones, then it'll dump the rest of them and that'll get you some more space back as well. So 
Again, the first bit of advice is go through, just clean up your library. I know it can feel like a daunting task. You don't have to do it all in one session. That's why it's maybe a good idea to, you know, spend the first couple sessions just sort of filtering and getting them into an album or something like that, and then come back slowly and just purge them, right? But any little purging that you can do, even if you do, you know, a few hundred a day or something like that, or maybe a few hundred a week, like don't overburden yourself, but just get it cleaned up and see how many you can get rid of that way. So that's one way to go. But then I also do really like your idea of maybe separating out images that you just want to archive. It's like, these are images I want to keep, I want to have, but I don't necessarily need them in my photo library day after day, kind of slowing things down and making it big and bloated, right? You have those kind of let's just say you have like a level b level and c level images right you're going to dump the c level ones because they're 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 no good you don't want them but then you have kind of these b level photos that are like not your favorite photos but they're important photos they're they're photos you want to keep so there i would say yeah you can use something like a smart album to kind of take a grouping of a year or a couple years worth of photos, like you're saying, maybe up to 10 years, but probably more like one one year, two years worth of photos, and then put those into an album, and then maybe move that album into its own photo library, right? And that way you can sort of have multiple photo libraries, maybe year by year or in five-year periods, whatever the period might be, and then you can kind of archive those, and then you could go back to your main library and then purge out a bunch of photos from the various years that only keep really your favorites and like really pare down your library to just the best photos in your library. And then you can still have these other albums uh, that are other libraries that are like your archive, and you can still go back to those and get those photos back and stuff like that. So when you create an album, you can select that album and you can choose the export option in photos. Now you're going to need some place to store that export so that you can then import it back into another library. But, you know, just be prepared for that. So you can select that album, export those images either as the modified or unmodified originals. You kind of have to pick one or the other, and then you can import them back into a new photo library. And the way you create a new photo library is when you're launching the Photos app, hold down the option key, and then you can choose create new, create a new photo library. You can open that up and then just drag all those images that you exported into that library. Now be aware you're going to lose, unfortunately, if you do it that way, uh, the metadata. And also be aware that uh, if you use iCloud Photo Library, you can only have one system library, one library that syncs. And so that's usually going to be your main library. So that's one way to do this, but there actually is a better way. And it's with an app called Power Photos. We've talked about this in on the show in the past. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But uh, Fat Cat Software makes this uh, app called Power Photos that really lets you manage multiple uh, photo libraries and it allows you to merge them it allows you to separate them and split those libraries but best of all when you split the libraries it will actually maintain all that metadata including those modified that modified metadata and you'll be able to still revert and you'll have all your metadata saved and it will even save your albums and bring those over so what you can do with power photos is create a new library and then for your main library, select those albums that you set up 
either with smart albums or however you set them up. And you can literally drag them from one photo library to the other. Again, you're going to need this available storage. So make sure you have enough extra storage space for all these albums or these new photo libraries. But as long as you do, you can copy that data over and then you can purge that out of your main library and sort of clean things up. So you might have to do some back and forth while you're doing this, but it works really, really well. And then again, what you're going to want to make sure you do is once you have all of these libraries, right, these new photo libraries, you're going to want to have those backed up somewhere. And uh, whether you do that with Carbon Copy Cloner or Chronosync or, you know, back them up to the cloud, however you do that, just make sure that you're backing up your archived libraries and treating it just like any other photo library, just like your main photo library, uh, so that you don't lose that stuff. So that's what's going to be really important once you've sort of separated and cleaned up everything. So uh, yeah, that I mean, that's where I would start. That's how I would do it. But like I said, I'm sure members of our community probably have some other really great ideas and things that they're doing to kind of manage these large photo libraries. But you're absolutely right. I don't think this is this is a unique problem. I think a lot of us suffer from photo library bloat, and there's probably a lot of really cool, clever ways to kind of clean that up. So thanks for the question. And again, we'll follow up with additional tips and tricks from the community as they roll in. All right, the last thing I want to talk to you about is a thing of the moment. And this is actually based on something that I talked about in a previous episode of the MacCast. I recently had the microphones in my AirPods Pro go bad. They're doing this thing where they just basically fade in and out. So I'm talking to people and I sound fine and then I'll get really, really soft for a while and then they'll kind of go back up to normal. So I don't know what's going on there. If anybody has experienced that and knows a fix for it, let me know about it. But I really wanted to get a replacement uh, headphones, basically. And knowing that there's rumors that AirPods Pro is going to get a version 2 soon, I didn't want to pay $250 US for a new set of AirPods Pro, the existing model, when I know there's a new model probably right on the horizon. So I started looking at other options and Beats has their Studio Buds, which basically have all of the features of the AirPods Pro less a couple of items. But here's the key. They're $100 US less expensive. So I thought, hey, I'm going to try these out. And I have to tell you, I am pretty impressed. impressed. So they have spatial audio. They have active noise canceling. They have an eight-hour battery life with up to 24 hours using the battery case. They work with Ola Siri. So all of that stuff works. Uh, they come in additional colors. So you can get blue, gray, black, pink, red. I happen to get the black ones. They also have white. Um, they have, like is being rumored for the updated AirPods Pro, no stems. They have USB-C charging, so they're not a lightning connector. They actually have USB-C, although there is no wireless charging case option. So you don't have that. Um, and so I got these. They, to me, sound great. I would say just as good as my AirPods Pro. I can't really tell. Some people say the Beats tend to have more bass, and some people don't like that. I haven't really noticed that. Um, but they sound great to me. 
One thing I worried about is they don't have that U1 chip, so they don't have that kind of seamless syncing pairing going between devices. But the setup was very similar. I just took them out of the packaging. I opened up the case and boom, it popped up on my iPhone, said, do you want to pair these? I said, yes. And they were instantly paired with my iPhone. So that experience is the same. What's not ex- not the same is I can't just seamlessly transition between devices. So it doesn't recognize when I have them in and then I pick up my iPad and it switches right over to my iPad. So you don't have that magical experience, but really switching devices wasn't that big a deal. I just pick up my iPad, I go into Bluetooth, I select these and boom, they're switched over to my uh, my iPad or my Mac. It's a little bit more manual, um, so you do lose that functionality. But to me, that's not that big a deal. Uh, the mics sound good. At least people tell me they sound really, really good. And the noise cancellation, I think, is good as well. I'm not convinced it's as good as my AirPods Pro, um, but it's going to take a little more kind of listening to determine that. But definitely uh, good, the spatial audios there, all of that stuff. Now, the few little things that I think aren't as good as the AirPods Pro, um, they, in terms of the controls that are actually, the physical controls that are actually on the earbuds, they have that push style because they don't have stems. You actually have to push on the back of the ear, the earbud. And I don't like that because it kind of forces it into your ear. It's not as comfortable to me as using the little squeeze on the stems. But I don't manually control uh, my music and those sorts of things very much. And with Ola Siri, you know, I can just speak that and, and that's fine. So I prefer the voice controls anyway. So that's not a huge deal killer. Um, the fit is good on these, but they are harder to remove from my ear because they don't have the stems. You kind of have to pinch on the little part that sticks out and they're kind of harder to pull out of my ears, to be honest. And so I don't like that as much. Uh, the charging case is a bit larger than the AirPods Pro one, which again, not a huge deal killer, but you know, if you care about the size of the case, that might be a thing for you. But overall, I have to say, if you're looking for a set of earbuds, wireless earbuds that are almost as good as the AirPods Pro at a hundred dollars less, these are $150 US. I think these are an incredible option and they're probably more bang for your buck than going with just the cheaper AirPods, the non-pro AirPods. I think these are better than that, in my opinion. They certainly have better features, again. Um, so I would take a look at the the Beats if uh, you're in the market for some wireless earbuds from Apple, basically, that are not as expensive as the AirPods Pro. I'm actually very impressed with these and I like them so far. So I think until I can get the next generation of AirPods Pro, these are going to get me through just fine and I didn't have to spend quite as much money. So there's my thing of the moment for this week. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. 
As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9, and you can leave a voicemail there. If you need show notes, links to anything that are talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on twitter twitter.com slash maccast you can check out the maccast facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on instagram just maccast on instagram but with that that will do it for now until next time i will talk to you all again real soon 